Be seated. At this time, the children can be dismissed for Children's Church, which they'll find through this door on the left side of the sanctuary by the piano. And the rest of us, uh, will you please open to the book of Hebrews. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, you'll find it on page 1187, Hebrews chapter 6. And we're going to start reading from verse 11. Hebrews 6, 11, page 1187. It's the last Sunday of the year. We have a new year opening before us. We don't know what it will be remembered for. And so there's uncertainty at this point. God's word here today is a word of assurance and certainty as we move ahead. Hebrews 11:6 through 20. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for speaking. We thank you for this word of assurance and comfort which gives us strength in the face of whatever is ahead. We don't know. But we know that you're faithful. So help us to lift our eyes to you. Help us to open our ears to hear your word and open our hearts to believe it, to follow it, and to put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. The bills on the kitchen table are piling up. It takes a book to hold them down. uh, Another silent meal with an empty seat. What is going to become of this child? You count the wrinkles on the forehead of the doctor as he tells you the bad news. Six, seven. You scrunch the pillow. You turn over to your other side. Maybe he'll get enough sleep to function tomorrow. Doubt and insecurity steal motivation. They steal productivity. And so in our Christian life, as there is insecurity and fear and doubt, 
it robs us of the, of the joy and of the fruitfulness of serving the Lord and walking with the Lord. And so the author of Hebrews realizes that his readers need some reassurance. The, the first part of Hebrews chapter 6 is the climax of the warning passages of the intense exhortation to the people of God to take heed to the great salvation which has been made known to them. And if we don't pay attention to what we have heard, we run a great risk. And so there's a huge responsibility that falls upon us and we've got to take heed, we've got to hold on, we've got to persevere, and we've got to follow the Lord. And so the exhortation there in the first part of Hebrews 6 is, is downright frightening. That if you, if you have come this far and you turn back, there's no hope for you. And uh, so now he turns to encourage them by pointing them to the great hope and the great assurance that we have in God's firm purposes. We need something secure. We need something strong. We need something reliable that will enable us to hope and will enable us to persevere and to move ahead. And so since God's purpose is firm, anchor your soul there. Since God's plans and His purposes have been revealed and they're unchanging and they're faithful and truthful, you can fix your hope upon Him and upon His Word. So really we're going to uh, look at, at three areas here, three areas of, of assurance. And the first is uh, patience. The second is encouragement, the encouragement to patience. And the third is hope, which is the result of all the patience and the encouragement. But first I just want you to see what this is for. If you look there at Hebrews chapter 6, verses 11 and 12, I want to show you from the text why the writer is giving this encouragement. So Hebrews 6, 11 and 12, we want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order, that you may, in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. And so in the verses that follow, he begins by showing an example of, of faith and patience that we can imitate so that we can be able to not be lazy, but continue to grow, continue to be fruitful, and continue to be successful and prosperous in our walk with the Lord as we go ahead. So we're going to look first at God's firm purpose and how it gives patience. God's firm purpose gives patience to his people. And so look with me at verses 13 through 15. And we see the example of Abraham here. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so, after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. So Abraham went through a process. It began with God inspiring patience by, by giving him promises, very reassuring promises. And then God required 
patience by giving Abraham tests, many tests. And then God rewarded his patience uh, by reaffirming his promises and revealing more of his purposes to him. And so uh, I'd like you to look back to the book of Genesis. If you'd turn back to the first book of the Bible and uh, find the 15th chapter. And uh, we'll go back early in the story of Abraham, Genesis 15. And I want you to see this, this first occasion on which God did something like swearing an oath to Abraham. And it's a very memorable, vivid event and occasion in Abraham's life. And it seems to be the point at which Abraham's patience was really inspired. So in chapter 15, it begins with God making some promises to Abraham. God was making promises to Abraham, and Abraham was believing the promises. And now in chapter 15, God says, Hey, I am your very great reward. And Abraham says, What can you do for me? I don't have a son. I don't have an heir. I'm going to die and be gone. And all that will be left is this servant in my house. He's going to inherit all my inheritance. And all your promises to me will come to nothing because I have no son. And so God gives him a promise and he says, No, this man will not be your heir, but a son will be born to you from your own body. And Abraham says, That's wonderful. And then he says something rather audacious. Probably it's really insulting for him to say this. And it's the kind of thing that you and I often are tempted to say when we encounter God's promises. He says, well, how can I know this? You see, God has just given him a promise. And Abraham is asking, how can I know that this is true? And of course, the answer is self-evident. God said it. But God takes Abraham right where he is and he very graciously and kindly reassures him. And so what he says is, go and bring a heifer, a goat, a ram, two birds. And so Abraham brings them and he begins to prepare for the covenant ceremony. He knows what what all these animals are for. So he divides each of the animals in half and lays them out And he puts the two slaughtered birds there on the side. And he creates an alleyway between, right in the midst of the carcasses of these animals, these sacrificial animals. And it's the alleyway down which one walks when one takes an oath. And so Abraham prepares all this and God comes to him around sunset and and a very deep and dreadful darkness falls upon Abraham and God speaks to him and gives him promises. And he tells Abraham, this is what I will do. I will do these things for you. But that's not all he does. A flaming torch and a smoking fire pot appear and march down that alleyway, the alleyway of oath. And God himself swears an oath to Abraham, saying, I will surely do this. And so when you come across these words throughout the, 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 the Old Testament, whenever someone's taking an oath, whenever they really, want to really say something seriously, what they say is, so may it be done to me and more. May it be done to me. May the Lord do it unto me and more if I do not fulfill this promise. And so that's the oath you take as you walk down that alleyway. 
between the carcasses of the animals. And you say, so may it be done to me. And God is now coming and taking an oath to Abraham. How can I know that your promise will come true, that it will be fulfilled? And God takes an oath. And so Abraham's patience is inspired by God's faithfulness. And then Abraham's patience is required. He doesn't have a son. And even the next year, and it's more than 10 years, and finally, the son of promise is born to him, Isaac. And, uh, and he has this son. And then Isaac is growing and becoming bigger. And now Abraham doesn't need to be patient anymore, right? Uh, God has rewarded his patience. But Abraham still needs to live by faith and still needs patience. And his patience is tested. If you'll flip over to uh, Genesis 22, there are a number of tests which come upon Abraham in the following years. But Genesis 22 is the passage where uh, our uh, writer to, he- to the Hebrews has just quoted from Genesis 22. And what happens here is that God tests Abraham. He says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son, your only son, Isaac, the one you love, in case you didn't know which one I meant. And, uh, and so God calls him to sacrifice the son through whom he would receive the promises. All of Abraham's hopes are bound up in this child. And God calls him to sacrifice this son. And what does Abraham do? The scripture tells us that very early the next morning, he got up, he, he loaded the donkey, and he got ready and he went. And he departed to go find that mountain which God would show him where he must sacrifice his son. And so what we see is patience that waits for many, many years and patience that endures. Patience that is still ready to obey instantly when the opportunity comes, when the command arrives. And so Abraham is ready and he obeys. Now look at verse 11. Genesis 22, verse 11. And I just want us to read that place where God again swears to him his oath. And, uh, and I just want us to see how Abraham's patience is rewarded because he was faithful in, in trusting God, staying ready to obey. God rewards his patience. So Genesis 22:11. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so it was revealed to Abraham that God provides the sacrifice, that it is not his own son who is sacrificed but God provides. So verse 14, Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky 
And as the sand on the seashore, that's uh, reminding Abraham of the words he had said back when he had given him his oath earlier. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, that is through someone who will come from you, an offspring of yours, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. God promised to send uh, the Messiah, the offspring through whom all nations would be blessed. God's purpose was firm. And this is the oath which God will surely fulfill. This is the oath which you and I are holding on to today, that the Messiah will come and even people like us so far away will be blessed as children of Abraham, children of that same faith. God's purpose is firm. And so our hope is inspired and our hope is required and rewarded. We're like Marines, like in the, the movie, in the, the book, Black Hawk Down, surrounded by a vast mob of enemies. The bullets are flying. There's no cover from the grenades. There's, there's nowhere to hide. There's no hope of escape. But we know that the reinforcements are coming. We know that our commander has his eye on us and that he will save us. We know that God has a purpose for us. And so have hope. Have patience in the midst of whatever you face. God's purpose is firm. It's secure. And you can rest and trust in Him. You can continue to be ready to obey instantly when the opportunity arises. So endure and be ready to obey. You know, one of the hardest things I think that that we face regularly in our lives uh, here in the United States. That one of the, the most common forms of insecurity that we face is unemployment, that repeated experience that many of us have of being without work and not knowing, not having any human way of seeing or planning what's going to happen to this house, what's going to happen to these kids, what's going to happen to my life, am I going to end up begging? Or worse, what's going to happen to the whole economy? Is there still going to be anything here? And there's nothing to hold on to to answer those questions. And I'm sorry, I can't tell you what will happen to the economy. But I know that God has a firm and good purpose for your life. And whatever happens to the economy, whatever it is that you have to go through, God has a good, wonderful purpose for your life. So let your patience uh, rise and be strong. Hold on. We don't know what will happen with this child. Maybe it's a kid with problems. Maybe it's a kid who's bringing problems. Don't know what will happen with this spouse who's so hard to love or so hard to live with. Uh, With this class or these studies that we're taking, we don't know where it's going. With this job that we do have that's maybe... Uh, more difficult than being unemployed. But endure. Hold on. Be patient. Find encouragement that will support your patience. And so that's the the story of patience in a nutshell. There's the example of Abraham. But what is it that supports patience? Where is it that patience comes from? It comes from encouragement. So it's encouragement 
that inspires patience. And so what we want to look at next in, in verses uh, 16 through 18 is encouragement and the strong encouragement that God desires us to receive from His Word. So God's firm purpose gives patience and God's firm purpose gives encouragement. So set your anchor there. So will you look with me at verse 16, Hebrews 6, 16. And we see here that God confirms, uh, He confirms His promise and the confirmation gives encouragement. So verse 16, Men swear by someone greater than themselves and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of His purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. God's goal for us in His revelation is what? That we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. God wants you to be encouraged. And so he confirms, he confirms his promise. Verse 16, men swear by someone greater than themselves and the oath confirms what is said. God has no one greater to swear by. He can't call on someone who will surely hold him to account if he lies because no one can hold God to account. There's no one higher, there's no higher power, there's no accountability that God has to anyone to which he can appeal and say, surely I'm telling the truth in the eyes of such and such and so and so, but he himself is the witness of everything. He himself is the one that holds all to accountability. He himself is the truth. He himself is holy. And so he swears by himself. But his confirmation of his promise puts an end to all doubt, puts an end to our insecurity, and gives us confidence and encouragement. And then verse 17, this unchangeableness of God's purposes gives us encouragement. So verse 17, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear. God's purpose is firm. It's not changeable. It is set. And he wants to make that clear to the heirs of what was promised. So he confirmed it with an oath. And then the unchangeableness gives us encouragement and also God's truthfulness gives us encouragement. So verse 18, God did this. He confirmed his promise with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. God cannot lie. We have his promise. And if God gives a promise, it will come true. He cannot lie. But he has not only given a promise, but he has confirmed it with an oath. He has appealed to his own character and his nature as one who guards oaths. And he has taken an oath. And he has sworn in a way that is completely unnecessary for him, but which reveals to us that he is truly and surely intent 
on driving the point home to our hard hearts and our blind eyes that He has fixed a purpose to bless and He will bless. And so we get great encouragement from God's truthfulness as He gives us His oath. And so there's this phrase that, that uh, it's, an, it's encouragement for whom? For those who have fled to take hold of the hope. It's encouragement for refugees. And it reminds one of the Old Testament law and the way that cities of refuge were set aside so that if someone had blood on their hands from having accidentally murdered a neighbor, they were just doing something together, something dangerous, and the neighbor got killed. In, in those times and under their, their uh, tribal existence, the thing that could happen is that a relative of the deceased could come and kill you in vengeance. And so you had to flee. You were a refugee. And so cities were set aside for the innocent who had killed, the innocent who had blood on their hands, where they could go and take refuge, the cities of refuge. And so Jesus is our city of refuge. And we flee to him, though we have blood on our hands and though our hearts are black and not innocent. And we find refuge. We flee to him desperately and we find strong encouragement, great encouragement because of God's firm promise and his firm purpose to save and to bless sinners, children of Adam. So it reminds me of that day, that sunny, uh, hot, sunny uh, afternoon in the summer when uh, hundreds of people were gathered at Otis Air Force Base, uh, politicians and religious leaders and choirs and a lot of people gathered together to welcome and to encourage uh, those displaced from, from New Orleans by Hurricane Katrina. And so Otis Air Force Base became a little city of refuge for them, a place where they found a bed where they could lie down where they could rest, a place where they could find encouragement from people who cared about them, a place where they could make a new beginning. And this is what we find in Christ, encouragement and hope and a new beginning. So what is it that makes some Christians just seem so outstanding? You know, you hear it, you must really have a lot of faith. You know, you're not like other people. You're really a person of faith. And uh, what is it that makes some people seem so outstanding? So that, you know, you, you move along in the Christian life and you feel like you're mature and then somebody zooms by you at 80 miles an hour in their, in their walk with the Lord and you go, whoa, what have I been missing? All it is is encouragement. All it is is desperation, crying out to Christ in, in desperate need, looking for refuge and finding it finding God's firm purpose revealed in his word that God has gone out of his way to make it clear and plain to us so that we would have strong encouragement. And so what is it that can make you untiring? How can you be zealous and unflagging in your service to the Lord? How can you know the Lord better and be more effectual in prayer and not tossed back and forth like a wave of the sea all the time. What can you do to become more mature? Come back to the promises of God, the faithfulness of God, His sure, firm purpose to bless, revealed 
underscored, underlined, and emphasized in bold by his oath. And, and you will find that, that that security will give you power and encouragement and motivation to follow Christ and to do great things. And people will look at you and say, my, but you're a person of great faith. Not like most people. What sustains encouragement? What can keep us encouraged for the long haul and through all the things that may be ahead of us? What is it that can sustain us and keep us going? God inspires patience by encouragement. And God sustains encouragement by hope. So will you look at the next couple verses, the last couple verses of Hebrews 6? That's verses 19 and 20. And I want us to see that just as God's firm purpose gives patience and God's firm purpose gives encouragement, so God's firm purpose gives hope. And there are two things about hope that I want us to see in these verses. That hope must be strong. Not a weak, faint hope, but a strong hope. And hope must be high. Not low hopes. Strong low hopes are not really uh, much to get excited about. But high hopes. High hopes are what God calls you to have. And uh, it's great high hopes that God holds out to you in the Scripture. So look at verse 19. First, we see that this hope is strong and supports security. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It's firm and secure because God's purpose is firm and secure. It's firm and secure because God's character is unchanging and truthful. And so your hope is planted and fixed in that which is unmovable. God himself and his faithfulness, his character. So this is, this is something strong enough to support hope. God's firm purpose. And also, it's a purpose which gives high hopes. Look what else it says. Um, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul in verse 19. Firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Okay, that part about Melchizedek, uh, Jeremy will take care of that next week, right? <clears throat> so, what we're looking at is this thing that Jesus, uh, you know, our hope enters where Jesus has gone. Our hope enters into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. And what is that about? You know, uh, the, in the temple, in the Old Testament temple, there was a curtain which separated off the most holy place, the Holy of Holies, where God's very presence was manifested. And no one could see it, and no one could approach it, because there was a curtain placed there to keep everyone out. And only the high priest could enter that holy place, and only once a year. But Jesus has gone in. And he has gone in in a unique way. There's a unique word applied to him here that's different from any of the Old Testament priests. Because it says here in your NIV verse 20, who went before us. 
He's like the, the scout who goes on ahead, the messenger who goes on ahead because you're coming. And so Jesus is, the, the way the King James translates it, he's the forerunner. And so let me illustrate this. I think a lot of the commentators are not completely comfortable with this illustration, but it seems like it's suggested, uh, possibly suggested by the author. Uh, so it's a, it's a great illustration to bring. There's some nautical terms that occur in the book of Hebrews. Of course, there are a lot of terms. It's a huge vocabulary. It's a, it's a different kind of Greek, the way it's written uh, so high. But one of the nautical terms is the one we just came across, anchor, in verse 19. And the other one is this one, forerunner, or as it's put in, the, in our New International Version, who went before us. The Greek is prodromos. And the, the word is, is used sometimes for the, the little boat that goes ahead. The little boat that goes ahead is the forerunner. And what, what you would do, now I, I'm not a sailor, I've never been a sailor, my dad was in the Navy, but I have never been really on the ocean much at all. Uh, I don't know anything about sailing, but, but I, can, I, I know how to use the internet. So, I, <clears throat> so it's almost as good. So let me tell you something uh, of what, what, about uh, the sea and what, what sailors do in this, pra- this maritime practice. Uh, if you have to enter a harbor that's very shallow, you don't want to get the, the ship stuck on a shoal, and so you, you get out the boat, the ship's boat, and you send it on ahead with, a, with an anchor, a light anchor. And it goes on ahead, and it finds the right path, and then it drops the anchor, and then the ship pulls on the anchor to bring itself ahead. And then, you know, it may be a process of continuing to do this. It's called warping. You know, the pulling on, pulling on the anchor is called warping. And... Uh, so, this is, this is what we need to do. Brothers and sisters, we need to warp. Jesus has gone ahead. He has deposited our hope at the right hand of the Father. Uh, Christ is at the right hand of God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God, Colossians 3, 1 to 3. And that's where your hope lies. So fix your hope, fix your heart on Christ who is there at the Father's right hand. And you're related to him. You're in him and he is in you. There's that rope, that cable, which is, which is strong and can't be severed. It can't be broken. So hold fast to your anchor. Pull on your anchor. You've got to warp in order to pull yourself into the safe harbor where Jesus is, is, is there for us. Our hope inside the inner curtain at the Father's right hand. So we need to pull our way into that safe harbor. Is your anchor in that harbor today? Is Christ your Savior? Are those nail marks on his hands there for you? Were those floggings received for you? Did he die for your sins? Are you his child? Have you received Christ as your Savior? Have you responded to this good news of the gospel? And do you hold fast to him? Your hope is there in the, in, inside the inner sanctuary. If you don't know Christ, if you haven't trusted him, where's your anchor? Where will you end up? You need to trust Christ today. If you've trusted Christ then here's what you need to do. You need to warp. You need to pull. You need 
you've got encouragement. You've got strength because of your hope. Your hope is there. So you, you have the power to pray because Christ is there at the right hand of God related to you. You have the power to be purified because the Word of God is sure. And what God is doing in your life is powerful and God has sent His Spirit up, uh, upon you. Hear these words uh, from the New Testament about hope and purity. Uh, God purifies His people who have hope in Him. John, 1 John 3.3 3, Everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as he is pure. And 2 Peter 3, verse 13 and 14, talking about the new heavens and the new earth, the great hope that we have of a new creation. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. So we need to pull on our anchor and not let go. So many in this congregation are examples and uh, examples to imitate of those who by faith and patience inherit what is promised. I think of one older fellow. I saw him on Christmas Eve. He had an armful of of those free Bibles that he was going to take and give to people that he's been witnessing to. He's got health problems and he needs special care. And so in the special care he's brought for this, you know, to, to this place with, with other senior citizens and he, he stays there. And, uh, you know, if it were you or I, we'd be feeling sorry for ourselves. But what he sees it as is an opportunity. And he sees all these other people there as his congregation. And so he's witnessing to them and sharing the gospel. And he's so excited about the good news of Christ. And uh, so people are wanting Bibles of their own to read. And I think of another lady, I, I call her up and say, I, I want to come and visit. And she says, oh, that would be wonderful. So I, I come and visit. I find her, you know, she's, she's struggling. She goes and visits the doctor. And uh, so they've got to puzzle out whether her symptoms, whether this, this symptom now is, is caused by the old age or the arthritis or the terminal cancer. And so she's, uh, she's just waiting to go home and be with the Lord. But, but what fills her heart is a concern for her granddaughter, for her children for their salvation. And uh, so her, her life is full of joy. She's happy. She's happy here, and she's looking forward to greater happiness to come. Incredible Christians all around us. <laughs> so, joy, peace, and anticipation. These are the things that God gives us by his firm promises, by his sure plans. We hear these words from 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Hope that makes us fruitful. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for your faithfulness, for your truth, that you never let your children go and that you fulfill all your promises. So keep us strong. Help us remember our Lord Jesus Christ and focus our hearts 
our minds, our eyes on him. In his name we pray. Amen. Now we come to the Lord's table. These symbols and reminders and pledges that God has given us of his great promises. So one of our elders, Tim Ells, is going to lead us in communion. It's my privilege to uh, lead us to the communion table this morning. I uh, get up pretty early most mornings and uh, it's still dark when I step out and oftentimes I look up and the stars are in the sky and right down there at the end of my driveway I I look up and uh, this time of year the constellation Orion is stretched out there right there as I look south and I think about uh, that when I I read uh, from Isaiah 40 talking about the power of God he It says, he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them like a tent to live in. Another uh, passage from Amos says, he who made Pleiades and Orion, who turned blackness into dawn and darkens the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land, the Lord is his name. And in Colossians 1.16, speaking about Jesus, Paul says, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rules or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. What, what's amazing to me is the God who created those stars and all all of heaven and earth is the same God who came to earth as a baby, who uh, grew up and suffered here on earth, who took upon himself the sins of the world, died on the cross, and rose again. That's just an amazing thing to me. As we celebrate communion now, I'd like to uh, let you know that here at South Shore Baptist Church, This is an open table, open to anyone who knows Jesus Christ as their Savior. Others are welcome to participate by observing. The Lord Jesus Christ, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, saying, This is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Could I have the elders up here now, please? 